0: What's going on, guys and gals? My name is Chris Tondevold, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This episode, we feature Jason Miles. Jason plays music with the band Bitter Lake and hosts This is Revolution podcast. I met Jason years ago when he was still touring with La Fin Absolute Demonde, they had a super unique sound that really piqued my interest, and I'm very happy to be able to reconnect after all these years. We go over his music history, how he became politically charged through his travels and experiences all over the country, and how he apparently gets everyone to move to the Bay Area. I'll have all his links to his music and podcast in the show notes. Side note, I definitely mixed up Rough Francis with Radkey. Both are really good bands and are bands of brothers, only Rough Francis is the band with the kids from death. Check all of those acts out if you haven't already, because they're fantastic. I saw Radke a few years back at uh, Black Cat, and they just blew me away, for, especially for how young they are. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and subscribe on Google Play or however you get your podcast. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. I want to talk about your podcast, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Better Lake, and then just your music career as a whole and Mm -hmm. then this push for more vocal activism on a bigger scale Mm -hmm. it feels like Mm -hmm. um, just from the outside looking in so let's start with music if you don't mind because you've been playing tunes for for, forever right
1: i mean if you if it's the way back machine i had to sing in church like most little colored boys in richmond california and I got a guitar at a young age cause I wanted one, but I, I couldn't own it. My grandmother rented it. Okay. I don't know if you, if you've ever had that situation where your parent or grandparent like rents you an instrument for like 10 bucks a week. And I had it for like a month and it was really mediocre copy of a Strat, but I always wanted to play guitar cause slash play guitar. Okay. And then I kind of bounced around and did a few different things. I actually rapped in the '90s for a minute. Really? Yeah. It was. I mean, honestly, it was just more socially acceptable. I li- okay. I'm from the. I'm from the hood. I'm from the inner city. I'm from Richmond, California. It's right. Like hood. Of fucking. it. Did some things. We actually recorded with this upstart rap group called the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. You gotta. You gotta talk to me about this. What? How? How did this happen?
1: We had a friend that did college radio and it was like a thing. And I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. Right. And Cal Berkeley was a pretty big college radio station. There's a lot of transplants from LA that come up to school in the Bay Area. And this dude had came up from LA and he grew up with that whole crew in the valley of, of Southern California. So there was another rap group. It was actually the first group Easy East signed, And there's two Jewish dudes called Blood of Abraham. And and they all grew up together, blood of Abraham dudes, and like the Black Eyed Peas dudes, and and our buddy. And so we wanted to record a quote unquote professional sounding release Uh and we also came up if you're familiar with hip-hop at all there's a hip-hop crew called the living legends
0: i like to think that i am but i don't know what that is now i feel
1: grouch Grouch and eli mers mers okay okay so yeah all the like so those guys were all in the same area okay and we're all doing this really you know I guess independence, the hot word that makes it doesn't sound like, like shitty recordings on four tracks. <laughs> right, and, right, right, right. But, but, you know, this is also like really pre-internet. So you can also, every area in the Bay Area, and I would kind of compare it to New York and Burroughs, okay. had its own sound. So we could go by the campus at Cal with our little four track tape and then we could, you know, make copies of it and then sell it on the street. And we could make maybe a hundred bucks that day. So little $5 tapes shit you made the day before
0: now are you are you putting them in people's hand and being like now you owe me five
1: dollars are you just being like it was way different back then <laughs> like i've seen I've, and, and i think that's kind of like a global thing like yeah. no matter where you go there's now there's an the asshole it's like i got the fire blah blah blah. i'm like no you don't <laughs> so we we would like sit there and we would have to to rap but this is also the bay area in the early to mid 90s so you got the high road dude still walking around Still, the fucking homo sapiens still yeah. like walking around yeah and then people would just kind of uh, show up in the area so a lot of the people that you were going to be and we were kids so a lot of the people you're going to be around were a little older and they were really good so you always had to bring your a-game but if you're just joe average dude walking down this street full of shops and record stores like any college town had and you see a bunch of interesting looking colored dudes you're like i i want to see what this is all about right we 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 sold music there we made great friends there that that i'm still friends with to this day my heart was never really in doing hip-hop it was always in heavier music but the the way the shows were because we we couldn't have venues they were very diy and very punk like we were stage diving at hip-hop shows
0: that's awesome I love that so
1: that That was the vibe early to mid nineties in the Bay Area, and so our buddy goes, "Hey, my friend has a studio where our boys just got signed. We're like, "Who are your boys?" He's like, "They're called the black eyed P, so this is like ninety seven. <laughs> We're like, Who the fuck are they?" Right. they just got signed to uh, Interscope, And so we had some demo stuff before, this is like, we literally went down there, I wanna say a week before the Black Eyed Peas' first album. So we go down to LA and we're Bay Area guys. And and for those that don't know, they're the, the Bay Area in LA cannot, that's Hollywood, that's famous people where I live. It, you think of tech, kind of back then you think of tech and it's just laid back. Four
0: or five years ago, hung out in like Walnut Creek, uh, a little bit in Oakland, a little bit in San Francisco. And it w- it was really, really cool. But what stood out to me is all the the indie stuff, but just like being an amalgamation of everything. I went to Tourette's Without Regrets, I think is what it's called, which is basically just like a almost like a sideshow, but a variety sideshow. So like hip hop was there, battle rappers were there, poetry, live performances, like everything all in one. That's another thing that I think about when it comes to like... Oakland and San Francisco just the the artsy and like the the independent, not even like super caring, but also everybody coming together in unity almost too
1: i'll I'll say this and you and you know me Chris from back in the day, and so you know i've I've been around I feel like there's a lot of similarity in scenes that I see in other cities because everything is so. I don't want to say homogenized, but I feel like now you can see that. Like before, you could create your own nook, right? And there was no way for you to show your nook, and it was just your thing that you guys did. And now, if I'm doing anything, I have to tell the world about it, and I have to lie (laughs) as I'm going to live stream later tonight.
0: So, right, you got to get the attention.
1: You, yeah. And it's just, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just different. Right. The things that I miss about the Bay Area were that I felt like those that we did were just the things that I was going to do, and if I went to LA, I was going to see how L.A. got down and it was completely different because they had to figure out how to do it on their own and what worked for them. So now I, I I've kind of feel like everywhere is pretty, pretty similar. Like I haven't rarely, unless I go somewhere that's kind of disconnected Sure. sure. Like you're not D C then it's like, oh, you might be doing some interesting shit because you're not DC. Right, right, right. So, yeah, it, I I wish we recorded more stuff. You know, we didn't have any money. The camera phones didn't exist. So, no oh, one yeah, had a yeah. cell phone. Right. You know, this is, again, like 93, 94. Like yeah. we had to do shows out of out of a Mexican restaurant in Berkeley because that's the <laughs> only place where we could have like live amplified music.
0: Right, and you and, just yeah. got your Walkman. That's That's what you got.
1: You you showed up with a Walkman, but you left with friends. So <laughs> it, it was, again, it was a vibe that I, I miss because it felt so much like family that to this day, right. whenever I see people from that world, even if it was people that you quote unquote battled back then, yeah, or you might've had some sort of childish beef with. There's so much love and camaraderie when we run into each other randomly, partially because it's like, oh, you're still around. (laughs) (laughs) Like, holy shit, you're still around? You're still doing it? That's fucking rad. You didn't Um, move. You didn't get shot. Yeah, like none of that happened. You didn't say (laughs) fucking and get a regular job. Like, I also used to work with, more funny, so I worked at this bookstore in Berkeley with the drummer of AFI.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: And another guy from Pyro. So it's like, it's kind of funny how like. Again, the, the Bay back then to me was just like this really fun time. Yeah. I'm sure someone will disagree, but that's just my childlike revisionist take on it. And so anyway, that's how we got to LA. And we, we ended up recording with the Black IP's DJ engineered our sessions and, and they were kind of in and out of the room while we were there.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. Now, that community and sense of camaraderie that you had in the hip hop community, were mm-hmm. you able to find that in any of your heavier music
1: Mm, No.
0: do you think there's a reason for that
1: i'll say this and maybe you feel me on this maybe you don't so where i'm finally moving out of it is a warehouse that uh, i lived in called soundwave studios and in that studio is faith no more the exodus dudes so of course the slayer dudes rancid flipper machine head was there forever they actually did some videos there And then every rapper from the bay area just does a video there has rehearsed there at some point in time the 80s metal guys and all of them and i see them a lot the camaraderie they have and the ability to work together they have in my opinion is on another level those guys get along i mean a lot of it has to do with they all went to school together Sure, And I'm talking about all the way back like Blind Illusion cats that later turned into like Primus and and, and those guys still get along and who else would you know? The Heathen guys, Testament, Death Angel. Like I've literally been in like walking to my room and all of those dudes have been rehearsing for a benefit. Yeah.
0: Because even back then they were still very popular and just like thinking about it today just like looking around and be like I don't belong here. I'm pretty <laughs> like these these people are better than me. There's there's nothing about this that says I should be here. And that's but, insane.
1: But they're but they're they're good, they're good cats and a lot of them want to help in their in that's their good. advanced in their advanced stage in their wherever they are, right? Some of them play, some of them don't play anymore. Right. But as far as like helping people like, I remember me and Cindy were recording Clarity Amongst the Rubble, which is a LaFen record, and our microphone broke. And we had no way to fix it. We didn't have any money. And Billy Gould from Faith No More kept telling us if we ever need anything to, to ask him. And so we went to their room. We knocked on the door. like Our microphone broke. And he runs into the booth and gets the vocal mic. And Holy he shit. He goes, dude, don't worry about it. We're rehearsing going to Japan. Just keep it. And I'll see you when I get back.
0: And <laughs> Yeah i don't i don't deserve this did it glow at all
1: like i was i was (laughs) first of all we were trying to record like it broke in the middle of recording so my first instinct was like let's just hurry up and get let me get this back to give to to cindy and then after we're done we kind of like hit us like holy shit like this is he looked at us like some sort of contemporary
0: right we're equals almost
1: that's pretty cool So that, that respect that they have for fellow musicians, like again, another thing, Dwayne Wiggins from Tony, 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 multi-platinum recording artist accidentally walked in on our practice once and was like, I really like what you guys do. I want to get a video made for you. And he, a video made for us that, 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 yeah, that's, that's, that's what those dudes do for, for each other and for other people, in my opinion. And I never really, I shouldn't say never really, but. For the most part, I never saw a scene like that for my age. Because, you know, there was nothing to judge. If you think about it back then, how can you say you're worthy? Like, oh, you don't have as many Facebook likes as me or Twitter followers, views on, on maybe you're not worth my time. It's like, no, I like what you do. I dig it. Let's 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 collaborate or let's do something. Let's do a show together. That sounds awesome.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny how that works when there's no numbers behind it, right?
1: Yeah, I can I can sincerely like you as a human and as a musician, not as a rung on a ladder to try to climb.
0: Right. Yeah, you you forget that people are actually genuine when you think about you know just someone random being like, oh yeah, I like your I like your music. Keep going. Let me try to help you, and yeah. like it's not for a nefarious reason. Like the you can't you can't think of why this person would be like, yeah, let me help you, and then take advantage of you. There's no way to take advantage of really anybody that way. So it's just interesting that that's that's the. It doesn't seem to happen the same way now.
1: Those guys just want to have a heavy show because they can sell a show, right? And they're from an era too where people went out to see live music. So there's a, there's a really great coffee table book called murder in the front row for people, for fans of heavy music and murder in the front row is a picture history of the Bay area thrash scene from, I want to say 81 to 89. And it's, it's a a beautiful book. Harold O from DRI and a guy named Brian Lou. It's literally their pictures. They were like the photographers, if you will, of that era. And it also kind of lets you see how incestuous that scene was. And, you know, to my point about just people kind of getting along, like everybody hung out at Metallica's house. Like I know people that hung out at Metallica's house, which is in the neighborhood, the city I grew up in. So it's cool. Again, it's cool because when those guys see you, you're like, oh, that's, you're, you're the younger generation, but you're part of the crew. You know, you're cool. And I, and I, I always, for me, that's what I wanted. I wanted to get the recognition of those people to like okay you're cool you're one.
0: <laughs> so when was the transition from hip hop to heavier music then?
1: Was there anything in between? No. Okay. Life got married very young at 21. It stopped. It kind of we recorded that a single in LA with, with the with Black Eyed Peas fought over radio edits. Okay. And I figured that we could get away with saying the N word, and you- oh no! I was like, "Well, Puffy can say it. Why can't I say it?" They're like, "Puffy's got money for the fines. <laughs> well, you don't." <laughs> so in the bin you go. And and I had a kid, and so I I started playing again, bands here and there, but nothing really serious. And then I got into tour managing.
0: Okay.
1: I tour managed a few bands, and then I met Cindy. Actually,
0: well, that's very cool. Tour managing, did that actually help out any of your own individual bands? Yes. Okay. Because it's not like the crazy routes, I'm sure. And then you're also hopefully <laughs> able to get guaranteed pay, maybe?
1: Some of the bands were, were were slightly big enough to get guaranteed pay. And we did like a lot of radio and shit like that, which was a different experience.
0: Too much in the morning
1: a lot of times. Or it, too- they weren't crazy doped out partiers. I never went out with crazy doped out partiers. So that's, you know, if you're going out with the Coke guys, then yeah, you're going you're gonna to have to scrape some people off of a floor. <laughs> if you're going out with the guys that drink a few beers and some shots, you're, right. you're going to be okay. Right. That's how those those do.
0: So then you, you met Cindy, tour managing yep. for multiple mm-hmm. bands. And then where does the idea for La Fin Absolute Demand, where does that come from? Because I think uh, that's a very unique sound all the way through.
1: True story. Met her in Vegas. You usually never meet anyone in Vegas that you stay in contact
0: with. It usually stays in Vegas.
1: Met her in Vegas. She told me she was a musician. She told me she was a classical musician. I told her she should quit her job and come to the Bay Area with me. That tour ended. We stayed close. That tour ended. And eventually she did move to the Bay Area. I moved to Vegas first. That we both hated it. It's not a plant fun town. And then we moved to the, the Bay Area. We moved back to the Bay Area. And her background is she's classically trained, and but she loved like nine inch nails and and early grungy Nirvana and like right. heavy heavy obscure shit. We both kind of love heavy obscure shit. So we decided to make like really weird music and lo and behold you know people kind of liked it and we were able to play uh, i i don't know the number of shows we would usually be out probably six to nine months out of the year
0: right right i remember you saying that you you almost lived in your car for yeah. a good portion of the year
1: just yeah. we did we did for for about six months we actually lived we said fuck it no more paying any bills and just lived in the car for a while that's insane that's crazy. It man. is. It is insane. It is cr- pretty gross. But we did, <laughs> and that's that's why that poor woman had a breakdown and left me.
0: <laughs> that can happen. It can definitely take its toll on you, right?
1: It it took its toll in 2016. She had she had, had enough of the the endless grind, and we'd had four vans break down in like two Oof. years, and she just we were supposed to do one more tour in Southeast Asia, which for me was going to be the end. I was okay. going to say let's let's just do this. South- I, I never got a chance to say it. I. We also would do these weird side jobs. Mm -hmm. And one of our side jobs was working for PayPal. And the people that we had worked with at PayPal went on to Square, the payment processing people. They had hired us both to do uh, what some people call old cella. But Desert Trip, so the Rolling Stones, the Who, Paul McCartney, Bob Dylan, and oh God, Roger Waters.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: She didn't want to go. She was like, I'll stay here. She had got like a regular job. And so I went. It was, we we're going to be gone for a month, so I was gone for a month in the desert doing that, wow. pretty much just fixing the point of sale systems for Square. And then I came back, and she was gone. So
0: that's a that's a little rough.
1: It's, yeah, it's
0: a, a little rough because she, if I remember right, she was Indonesian.
1: No, she's she's ethnically Filipino, but she's okay. from Canada.
0: Okay. So I I just was thinking for a hot second that your your Southeast Asia tour would be for you the end would also be just like climax to it that that would have been cool that was
1: the that was the you know in my head in my head the plan is like we're going to do this thing and then we could finally stop and then we'll be like regular people like we've we've got all the accolades that we want we did we played some big shows right and then we could just be regular people and we'll live in a regular place and not this warehouse full of insane shit and it didn't it didn't work out that way.
0: Yeah, it was just a little, a little too much, just a, a little break. Man, that stinks. I I remember, I remember something like that happening. I didn't know the whole story because it's been a while since yeah you and I definitely talked for sure. But so you, if I remember right, did you carry on with Lefin uh, a little
1: bit after that? I released the last album, which was pretty much an homage to our relationship. We had come... Like 2012 was like a rough year for both of us. Okay. 2012 for me was the first year, and this is kind of getting more into Bitter Lake and what I do with the podcast politically. But 2012 was like the first year for me where it was really scary to be black in America because people hadn't got their Obama prize that they thought they were going to get in as far as right. hope and change. So I would walk into a gas station and like, you know lawrence kansas and people (laughs) are really mad at me yeah yeah. and there was a lot of hateful obama rhetoric everywhere and uh, people were really starting to hurt right you know we got the the bp oil spill and a lot of those people didn't get get helped out like they should have and lost their livelihood
0: it's insane to me that that feels like such a lifetime ago when it was eight years ago
1: only eight years ago
0: that only eight years ago i'm just thinking about like the timeline that you're talking about and that just feels like I've lived three lifetimes since then, with everything that's happened in in the world at the moment, and just even bringing it up because I remember watching oh what was that oil spill movie?
1: It was an oil spill movie, yeah. Dark water or something, Dark something Dark water, yeah, something
0: like that. And I remember watching that in the in the movie theaters and being like, first, why am I doing this? Second, just the the time like that is such a long time ago. And I just feel like eight years is is not when you look at it in the grand scheme of things.
1: That was a that was a big eight years though, you know. You yeah. get your you get your second. So we gotta remember we're coming off of as Obama comes into office in 8 eight, we're coming off of this horrible financial collapse that we're still trying to recover from. Let's just be yeah. honest. Yeah. And I lost everything in that. And and four years of kind of nothing. So 2012 was a big election and the Republicans just weren't running anyone that people could get behind because Mitt Romney is a Batman, Tim Burton, comic book villain of a <laughs> politician. And if you, if you remember, he kind of like lost that election because he had a hot mic and he had said something about like poor people. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that's that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so that lost him the election. But that same type of rhetoric pretty much won it for Trump in twenty sixteen. You
0: know, because it was at a fever pitch. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. you know, remember that?
1: And he was it was like a big it was a fundraising dinner thing, and he was he was saying the right thing to the people he was in front of. But
0: right, right, and then Mitt Romney was just not the right person because he didn't have. I also don't think that he had the ability to drum up such a grassroots. Support like what Trump has for some reason, even though they are still like the same level of rich and sleazy, just yeah, Mitt yeah. looks he fully embodies it while Trump is like a, a full cartoon character of it. But that cartoon character in this of it can be such a universal outreach and get so many people behind him. It's concerning. you can project,
1: you can project on Donald Trump who you think he is, right. And you can't do that with Mitt Romney because he's kind of obtuse. So you can't really do that with with Romney the way you can with, with, with a Donald Trump. And I think Trump allows you to project onto him. He plays into the pro wrestling bullshit. So all of the anger... He was a pro wrestler. Yeah. He's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And that's his shtick. Fucking insane. That's his shtick. So that, that time we wrote a record and then we went out again, of course. And... We still definitely felt it. And, and we, we had a feeling that Trump was going to win. Like we just, everywhere we go, we just like, man, this, the country's mad. And this dude's doing a really good job of stoking this fear. And I think people are underestimating what the rest of the world thinks. And if we look right. at media as you're either in California or New York, most likely New York, you don't see the rest of the country and you don't understand why people are, are mad. Yep. They're kind of caricatures to you. So we're we're interacting with these cats on a daily basis. I'm seeing the middle of the country more than I see my own family. And I knew that something wasn't right. And so we wrote this record called Killing the Host. And I was like a really like the also the cool people we met in the in the making of that record, like the guy that did the artwork does ministries covers and Manson's covers. That's amazing. And we met him randomly at a Comic Con. and and he was like oh I like like the music I'll make you a cover and And then another friend made a comic inside of it about absent World and what the future is pretty cool that's crazy but she was gone by this point so by the time like I had had these ideas oh okay he was behind the ideas and we had done the recording because I was so ready to be done we had recorded two records like let's make this We'll have another one in the can. We'll go do Southeast Asia. And then all the music will be out of us. All of it's gone.
0: I don't think that's how that works, but I, I like the the hopefulness about it.
1: And it just, you know, she was gone. And I was like, how do I tour on this? And, and I beg the label to put the record out. They're like, well, we can. And I was like, well, can you please?
0: Yeah, because for you, I mean, it's it's a two-man crew for the most part. Like, you can't mm-hmm. just replace her... Mm-mm. with just another singer or or Mm-mm. whatever, right? Like the feel would be completely gone and gutted. And then that also definitely wouldn't reflect on anything that you just wrote. Like that, that would not be yeah. the same. Yeah.
1: It was, it was, yeah. And we had just done a tour with Godflesh a little bit before that. That's right. Okay. And so we, and then I want to say Primus had left these strings lying around the studio that were like really thick, so that's when we started changing our tuning to like drop F sharp. And <laughs> now I have a special model of string that's seventy four gauge to thirteen.
0: That's just ridiculous. What, I what found I mean?
1: these like seventy gauge, seventy some gauge. This is a few, a few years ago, and I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. Let me try to put on the guitar and tune it down. You know, playing with Godflesh, I think he was playing eight strings at the time, and Aaron Turner was on that tour too with the band he was in with his wife. If you know Aaron Turner from like Sumac and and Old Man, yeah, and ISIS. yeah, yeah. So so I was like, oh, let me you know, I'm, let me mess around with this. This is kind of <laughs> interesting. Let me fool around. It, it so happened. Primus leaves all these crazy strings, and then also Brian Kehoe, who actually is a is a big big timer at Dunlop, who also played in Merv and and plays in the Frog Brigade, pool, He like had some strings made for me that's like okay let's try this out and do this thing and then so we brought this whole dark fucking record and (laughs) she wasn't there to tour on it We're i'm all mad because we've been like rehearsing the tour on this thing. right right so she leaves and i got depressed as people should do when your partner of seven years leaves and yeah I, i because it's a studio with all kinds of instruments outside of our room i grabbed a drum set uh-huh. And learned and taught myself how to play drums. And I just recorded this Bitter Lake shit and then kind of put a group together.
0: That's insane to me. Like, I feel like you could have had an easier time just programming the drums rather than teaching yourself how to do a whole other instrument.
1: I, 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 so I did, Cindy and I both programmed drums for years. And I was like, I just want a, a live drum sound.
0: Yeah. Uh, you so also probably true. just want to hit things yeah, all rhythmic of it. faction yeah, yeah yeah
1: all of it like I wanna like I don't want to act like you know how hard it is to ask even though you have all these drummers at your disposal because of where you are I still have to ask people they have to make time and then yeah like, so fuck that I have everything that I need here I'll just teach myself how to do it and I got nothing but time.
0: Right right I mean that's kind of what happened with my show like I I had been going to someone to record stuff and I was like I A the the timing and the scheduling is such a pain in the ass when you have to lean on mm-hmm. someone else to do that. So <clears throat> that that was annoying. But you get to a point where you're just like, I'm spending money on on this thing. It's such a hard thing to keep up. I'm just gonna figure out how to do it by myself, and then it'll be all, all on my own time. And now mm-hmm. everything's better and it's my own, like I'm more bought into this project too that makes sense
1: no it makes total sense because when you like when you're trying to figure out how to record a podcast on your own depending on how you do it and depending on how much experience you've had recording your own music it may be like looking at a crazy puzzle and sometimes it's easier just to like i don't want to look at a puzzle i'm looking at a picture i'm gonna right you kept paying for the picture and then one day you were like fuck it i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna figure this out on my own and there's nothing you just want to like dunk shit and like high five somebody when you
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's also oh yeah it's also the worst when you you know that like you could do better but for whatever reason you can't figure out how to like make something sound good Mm -hmm. because the the source audio something happened to that source audio Mm -hmm. whether it's a cable a microphone the interface whatever and you just can't fix what you know that you should be able to because of all the technology that's happening it's so annoying that like one thing fails and now i can't do anything else or i like i can't make it to my standard if that makes sense
1: oh it makes total sense yeah. Like I have something in my head of what I think is supposed to sound like, but my limited abilities is right. going to definitely <laughs> you better sit there a little longer motherfucker and figure this out.
0: <laughs> well, and I think that's an interesting thing for you too because if
1: you're if you're trying
0: to figure out how to play the drums, you play a distinct style of heavier music mm-hmm. that relies so much on all these mm-hmm. a cacophony of sound to mm-hmm. use a better term, I don't think So it's it's, I think you went to like the deep end right away when you could have probably just waded in with a little bit of like driving beats here and there. I don't I don't know. That's my
1: problem. I mean that's (laughs) you know I this is the honest as I'm gonna get right. So had I not had I took a different approach, maybe I'm just now releasing something. Right. Okay. Okay. Cindy and I met and learned how to record within a month and started putting music out when SoundCloud was a little different. It wasn't like dominated by hip hop. It was actually dominated by European DJs. So we were getting remixes made before we got any kind of deal by DJs in different parts of the, in the, of the world, mostly uh, Europe. So that's just how I operate. Like I have, I want to do it. Let's do it. I don't have time to wait and that's how we toured fortunately or unfortunately like you know maybe we could have played 25 shows a year and not 100
0: and that would (laughs) have
1: been better well i mean like we're like you gotta fucking do it you gotta go to california maryland
0: (laughs) right right and hindsight's 2020 you know that's there there's always, you know, looking back and being like, Man, I I sure kicked my own ass for no goddamn reason. Probably could have spread these out a little bit more. <laughs> you know, th- like that's 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 definitely something that you look back later, but I feel like when you're in the moment, it's always go, 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 because you gotta go to the next town because you're surviving on show to mm-hmm. show sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then the only way to get home is to play more shows that pays for the gas to get home eventually. Like that, And
1: it's, oh, it. I remember one day, oh God, I remember this so vividly. We were in Louisville, Kentucky, and we had played one of the main venues in Louisville. There's only like a couple for bands our size. And the first night, for some reason, we were doing like two shows in that area. And the first night, no one showed up. And we played with two singer-songwriters, and they both brought their girlfriends. So it was us in front of literally two very sensitive men.
0: And that's, that's a, a pretty, pretty contrasting soundscapes. Anyway.
1: Oh, they did not want to hear <laughs> we, we had no, we had enough money to probably get to Texas, but we didn't okay. have enough money to get home. And it started to snow. And we're oh. in the parking lot of a Walmart. And Cindy starts to weep. I was like, we just gotta, we just gotta. No one's going to be there. And we get to the venue, and sure enough, there was a booking issue. And they're like, No one's supposed to play here tonight. We're like, No, 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 no. We had a booking agent at this time. And we're like, No, our booking agent told us that we're, we're supposed to be here. Uh huh. Nope. Nope. This is open mic night. So there's no bands on open mic night. I'm like, Look, dude. So I call the booking agent. He gets mad. And there's back and forth. So finally, the guy's like, You know what, dude? Fine. Play. <laughs> but I'm just letting you know right now, we're we're not paying you any. So we we played because we were angry and yeah. because we were hurt and because we were desperate. But everybody started throwing money in a bucket, and everybody bought multiple shirts. Oh, that and that feels CDs good. CDs and. Oh, we made we made more money. We made enough money that night to just if we wanted to drive home or fly home. But that's one of those things where, it kind of to the, to your point of, of figuring out how to record, like no one else is going to do this but us.
0: <laughs> right, right. And you just got to keep got to keep going forward. Yeah, you got to. It worked out. Yeah,
1: you can only do that so long. <laughs>
0: Right, <laughs> right. Until you hit a wall, and you're just like, "I'm out." See ya.
1: That should be the end of your Disney story. That's the arc, right? That's how the, that's the crescendo. And right. that was kind of it became almost constant. And and you know, the poor woman didn't. Win. Oof.
0: So out of out of the ashes of La Fin, there's Better mm-hmm. Lake that starts dun, dun, dun. up. So talk to me a little bit about that, the the formation of it, and then because we were talking about you just playing drums and that's how you're writing that first Bitter Lake album, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then it goes into you actually looking for members because you want mm-hmm. to play live then I, I reckon, mm-hmm. right? Oh, it's all I know how to do. Yeah.
1: That's all I know how to do. I can I can stay in the studio for so long and then it's like, okay, I think I like the way these sound. I, I want to go see what it's like. Break shit in front of people. That's like, what? I, I love doing it. <laughs> and I went to, so Boots Riley if you Know the, the group The Coup, or if you've seen this movie, sorry to bother you, yeah, he comes to the studio a lot. And so, I ran into him, and he's it's like the nicest guy. And He always introduces me, he's like, This is Jason, him and his wife are in this really cool band. So, he sees me, and he's like, With somebody I don't know, he's like, Oh, this is it. have you met Jason? This is he's in a band, that is his, so cool, his wife. And I'm like, Boots, she left, and he goes, Huh, <laughs> well, he looks at me, he goes, Well, how long were you together? I said, Seven years, Boots. He goes, Hmm, he goes. There's not very many people that can say they did what you did in seven years. So you always have that. And I said, uh, this wasn't what I wanted to hear. So I was kind of mad. I was like, well, Boots, I want to get an all black metal band. He goes, hmm, all black, huh? (laughs) He goes, ooh. Uh, He goes, let me think about that one. (laughs) He still hasn't responded. (laughs)
0: That's so funny. That's so funny. You would think that would already be a bigger thing. I don't. I'm I'm not familiar with with any band like that, unless I'm missing something. But you have like the the punk side of that, where you have death and you have. Radke. Well, remember, they
1: did they didn't last. Radkey's there's kids, right?
0: Radkey are the kids, and they're fucking fantastic.
1: Yeah. Are they're, they from your neck of the woods, or they live out no, near your neck of the woods? I don't. I
0: think they're from Chicago, if I remember right. Oh, okay, no shit. Yeah, and I saw them a few years back in D.C. Expecting them to be so much older because his vocals Mm -hmm. are completely different from what he looks like, but yeah, they're—I want to say like 18 is the oldest of them, or maybe 21 is the oldest of them. But they're—they're all young kids and really, really tight and really, really good, and that they just came out of nowhere.
1: They're the kids of the band that had the movie about them. I mean, that helps.
0: No, yeah, I mean maybe. But I didn't. I didn't really put two and two together until like I, I did research with them. So I dug it. I definitely didn't. I'm
1: not hating on them by any stretch of the imagination. It's just yeah. it, it, it's, it's. Let's just be honest. Heavy music is the last safe space for straight white men. <laughs> so <laughs> they're not taking a lot of diversity applications.
0: Uh, my my
1: boobs aren't big enough for them to care about my my diverse <laughs> background.
0: I, uh, yeah i think you're right and that
1: that's hard a little bit <laughs> it's, don't it's it's a reality and if when we deal with it and admit it then we can move on but it's it's the fact that people try to go no no okay. right then you know fucking come with me to a... hip. <laughs> no 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 not a g-easy show <laughs> no go to a clipping show you'll be all right yeah. <laughs> that guy's from out here too yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> i was gonna ask you about that because uh, i absolutely love clipping but one of one of my favorite stories is when when they were... I think it was like when Hamilton first came out or mm-hmm. close to the beginning of Hamilton, clipping played in Baltimore. So you have all the like theater kids going <laughs> out to see <laughs> clipping play, not knowing what <laughs> clipping is. And it was just like this—this this startled look on all of their faces—and it was beautiful. So that—that's one of my my just like I favorite I pieces that. of it.
1: I dig that dude's project. It's for for me. It's it's one of the more original groups I've heard in years. I I look at it as a soul cleansing project for dude after doing Hamilton. Like it's. like you know you're kind of doing the king lib like this is what every every shit lib loves hamilton like hamilton is is the definition of why a lot of people are afraid of a biden administration on the left and you are a focal integral part of that and you've gone on to do this amazing musical project that enough recognition
0: no, I I don't think so either. One of the other things that I I recently saw for four about four or five months ago was Blind Spotting the the movie that it's a good movie yeah yeah and it it brought up a lot of the gentrification that's in Oakland mm-hmm. and in the Bay Area. I know that with your podcast you got very political and we were talking about all the stuff that you were doing with your activism. So mm-hmm. with with Bitter Lake, you have that already established. With the activism piece, where did that come from? When did that start with you? And what was the idea behind the show? Were you just easily able to transition to that to
1: the next step for your activism? So, if even if you have a vague memory of of meeting Cindy and I, we love people, right? Like we genuinely loved. Showing up in a town, if a promoter or show booker, you know, like yourself comes up and introduces themselves to us, we're th- th- so thankful that you had us out there and we want to show you our gratitude. And generally, people tend to be nice back, and it's like, okay, this is cool because now I can come back here, right, as a musician or not as a musician, and I'll have friends. As hokey as that sounds, that's kind of our approach to to touring and kind of life. So her and I kind of talked about doing something like that a little bit, but not very seriously. And then with Bitter Lake, I felt like we as a band should do a show because of the studio. And now okay. I, you know, Cindy, Cindy and I lived in that same studio. And now it's like, okay, well, it's just me in here with a band that comes into practice. Like, why don't we as a band talk about our lives as musicians. And then we have this kind of huge library of people that we can literally tap on the shoulders or walking down the hall and pull them in conversation. So why don't we do that? And the band was kind of like, "No, nah, that's stupid. Who's going <laughs> to care about that? This is all before the lockdown. Right. Right. Of course. And they're like, eh, nah, that doesn't sound like, like, I think a lot of people in bands are like, I don't mind talking about me, but I just don't want to talk about you.
0: <laughs> that that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so a little bit of narcissism goes a long way, right? But you
1: you've been around people in bands, big and small, enough to know that there's a lot of you know if you if you're interested in them, they got a lot of shit to say, but they don't really you know reciprocate that. What's up with you? Like, oh well, I'm doing it. A- yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice.
0: Right. Exactly. Where's the beer? Titans? You want to you want to hear more of my story? I have I have more. This is the next project that I'm working on. Just just so you know, this <laughs> is what like, I'm doing. yeah,
1: I can't hear that right now. <laughs> but I want to hear I want to I want to hear your story because your story to me is here. I am in America, and we always talk about how diverse of a country we are. But we kind of love to hear the same, story. and everybody doesn't have the same. Story. Right. I definitely don't have this. Cindy and I lived with a white family that was not our own for a while. That were that are conservative Christians and we love I you know I'm not gonna speak for Cindy I love them to death I still get my mail there I like that <laughs> but if you listen to my show you know I'm I'm very to the left right but I live <laughs> they're a surrogate family so I love people I love people's stories so trying to and and the and the rest of the band definitely you know we're on tour and they don't they're like Jason's gonna talk to people go hide in the back like, <laughs> I'm like hey what are you what do you guys do for fun out here what is right. what is the industry in this town I don't know tell me more about you
0: that is such an important role but it is so also like the the target for the most ridicule because you have to be like the the most extroverted to talk to everybody to get more fans because even if they didn't fully love your show for the first time that Mm -hmm. connection that human connection piece of just like being nice to someone that was just Mm -hmm. on stage and and just like feeling that is is fantastic because you can develop more relationships and like what you were talking about too where your whole philosophy is we're gonna make friends no matter where we go like, that's amazing because you and I haven't talked in years, but we're still able to mm-hmm. have that connection through music, through touring, through all of that. And I, mm-hmm. I always appreciate mm-hmm.
1: that. No, that's a, and that's... I'm saddened by the lockdown because I can't go make those trips and Bitter Lake does not tour like Leffin. You know? <laughs> it's pretty much just me and the drummer who actually because of me and Cindy's mouth was a sound man in 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 Boston. Very cool. And we okay. convinced him to move to the bay. Where he still is now and now he's the drummer in Bitter Lake.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I love it.
1: Yeah, so that's that's that to me is how that whole shit works. Like, you, you know, the more you tour, the the more friends you're going to make, of course, peer wise with other bands. But for me, it's also just the people that I come across from the the door guy at a, a random club yeah. to the, the promoter to the bartenders. Like it's it is it is so cool when you can go to a place that you haven't been to in a while and you walk in there. It's like Norm from Cheers. And that's and that's what makes me smile, and that's what gets me excited. And not being able to do that physically, I try to do it with the show, and it's the same thing with the show, dude. There's people that I'm friends with right now, on the academic side of of things that are that are people that I looked up to, that are that are now like we're texting back and forth like little schoolgirls. It's awesome.
0: <laughs> that's cute. I like it. That that's that's fantastic. It does it does make it feel and like I've mentioned it a few different times but like just that that remembering that people are people and that Mm -hmm. just like that that conversation can start off and you're able to like have this connection with someone that you never thought you would ever talk to in your whole life because you don't feel like you're on their level like that's yeah that's such a a nice thing when that that is broken like Mm -hmm. it, it makes me feel really really good and I still suffer from like not thinking that I'm good enough. So when I tried to email people for like guests and stuff like that, I'm just like, ah, this is, I'm never going to hear from this person. But it, every once in a while I get surprised and someone actually responds and I'm just like, I don't deserve this. This is great, but I don't deserve this. This is fantastic.
1: I feel you. Who's the, who's the biggest? Oh my God. I can't believe they responded for you.
0: The biggest and the quickest was actually a Shauna from war on women, Shauna Potter. Okay because that that was just like a fully cold email Mm -hmm. and just like me reaching out to her and then the same day she was like yeah i'm good let's go and i was just like this is amazing because i've listened to Mm -hmm. your music a lot and uh, this this makes me feel like i'm almost a better person than what i am
1: (laughs) first of all we have to keep in mind that people have a lot of downtime yeah yeah right Second of all, we have to keep in mind that sometimes people aren't getting the calls that they thought that they were getting before. Right. My first big guest was a guy named Alex Vitale. Alex Vitale wrote a book called The End of Policing. And it is a very in-depth history of the way we we look at policing now and what it is for now. And he uh, has some remedies he was the first one talking about defunding the police quite a few years ago. Hashtag he's an older (laughs) gentleman. So he doesn't, you know, he's not about the hashtag activism. He's about actually talking about it, but I followed him on Twitter after seeing him on a Chris Hedges show. Chris Hedges is one of my uh, journalists and I sent him a Twitter message and he said, okay. And after I got Vitaly on the show, it gave me legitimacy for some reason <laughs> to get other people on the show, and then also where I'm from and who I went to school with some of those people became some pretty decent sized intellectuals, right. and they've come on the show and but you know i had again i'm I'm constantly surprised on who a reaches out to me and and b who I can reach out and touch at this point,
0: yeah it's always it's always surprising and then you you feel like you can actually do more but for for me that that's still that like sneaking of yeah you're you're not there yet so is always is like constantly pecking at me so I gotta figure that out
1: you just gotta like, what's the worst they can say no or nothing
0: Yeah or they ignore you like I've ignored so, so many
1: people so it's great I oh dude so I okay so I've had who did I have on the show? I had some pretty good guests, right? I had Howie Hawkins and Angela Walker, the Green Party presidential and vice president candidate. Gloria Lariva, the Party for Socialism and Liberation presidential candidate. Shahid Buttar, who was running against Nancy Pelosi. So I got to have all these political people on. I have these great academics, Aviva Chomsky, Chomsky's daughter, who wrote some a, a great book about the history of immigration. Gerald Horn, an uh, amazing academic who's written uh, fabulous work on uh, settler colonialism and how the Revolutionary War is actually a counter-revolution, and it wasn't about tea; it was about slavery and Indian land. <laughs> Some great, great historic works, right? And I'm, and I'm, and I'm now I'm starting to get able to get these people a lot easier, mm-hmm. like, right? The one guy that's not getting back to me is the guy that hosts a show on YouTube about toys. <laughs> that's so silly (laughs) there's a show called toy galaxy on youtube that i fucking love it talks about (laughs) toys and cartoons of the 80s and 90s and all the goofy shit i'm reading captains of consciousness advertising and the social roots of consumer culture by Stuart ewan right to get ready for some shows that are coming up nice and then i have i have about five other books that are that's insane um, to me. And I so I
0: can't get through one.
1: Well, I had these people on my show, so I can't oh, sit yeah, here and be like, right. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really read your book, bro. But so, so, and my girl gets on me. She goes, uh, Did you read the the That's entire funny. book? I'm like, That's motherfucker, funny. it is 500 pages. It's <laughs> a lot. So, so my release is watching this show. Okay. The toy show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The toy show. And and also he has some interesting takes on like why toys are a certain size. Like, oh, why are G.I. Joe's this size and Star Wars this size? Oh, it's because there was an oil embargo in the 70s and plastic was more expensive. Oh, that's (laughs) interesting. It's like he has these. And they're, they're only like 10 to 15 minutes long. Awesome, 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 awesome show. He's not getting back to me. <laughs> follow-up message, follow-up message. I'm hitting him up on, a found the email address. Oh, man. Like everything. Uh, Finally, he does get back. We actually recorded a show Saturday. And- that's awesome. Fantastic. So the, the moral of the story is, A, keep trying because you never know why people aren't getting back to you. And he actually was very polite. And I have a show that is nothing like he does. He does not get political on his show whatsoever. Right. And so I was kind of afraid. But again, we totally hit it off. And
0: that's fantastic.
1: And and be, you know, fuck 'em. There's always somebody else.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> There's always somebody else to talk I like to. I like that. I like them cuz fuck 'em, that's why.
1: Fuck 'em. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the the podcast idea sprouted from the bitter late
1: downtime, downtime from tour. Yeah.
0: Right so the the activism that you were in the political sense of that Mm -hmm. was that something Mm -hmm. that was a bigger part of your life younger too or is that something that just came out because i think you said it it really triggered for you around 2012
1: 2012 was like where you know shit was getting real like you know i'm aware of the world and i definitely always want to speak out but 2012 was like oh there's a turning point point. 2016 definitely like for a lot of people was radicalizing for a lot of people because you have the run of bernie sanders so you mm-hmm. have this guy that's running as a and i don't know where you sit politically but no one can deny that there was something about this man running not he definitely ran as a democrat but you know him as bernie sanders the the socialist right and and here he comes in with these kind of democratic social reforms and it changed the conversation, and he did a very great job at at taking the demonization away from the word socialism. And he made people look it up for the first time. Right, and that's okay. That's totally okay if you looked it up for the first time. Not everybody had a stepmom that had revolutionary suicide by Huey Newton laying around the house for them to read.
0: I would say most of us did not. <laughs> I, would, I would say most of us did not.
1: So your radicalizing moment, your understanding of of these concepts, especially when it comes to to liberation, isn't there because a lot of people are comfortable. And if you're comfortable, why the fuck would you care about seizing the means of production? Bitch, you're comfortable.
0: Yeah, the production all- is helping me already. <laughs>
1: yeah, you give a fuck. I don't have to but- do shit. But post oh eight when people are losing shit and then 2012 people are losing more shit, or you just you haven't gotten back to where you were beforehand. Right. Or you look at your your parents and you're like, you know what? I may not have what they had, and I'm a little less mediocre than my mediocre ass dad. So what does that say about my <laughs> prospects of the future?
0: Right. Cause it, it's not like getting better with every generation.
1: No. It's, it's getting it's getting exponentially worse. And then no. the, there's a homeless encampment across the street. So if you have seen Sorry to Bother You, Boots Riley's movie, there's a scene that's actually in front of where we lived, where the guy's driving down the street in the beginning of the movie, you see the homeless encampment next to him. That's literally our street. That's right. not, there's not a set. Those aren't fake homeless people. They just shot that on our street. And that encampment got larger and larger and larger. At this point, where as I'm talking to you right now, people are living in the middle of the street.
0: That's insane. Now I think I think it was San Francisco that Mm -hmm. was doing the hotels for the homeless, or that might have been another city. All of California. All of California is doing that.
1: Good. Okay. Was I think the money's just about drying up for it. I swear, and I worked at one of them. I was at At one one of the hotels. Written about it at one of the hotels and I've definitely talked about it. And, and if you want to ask anything, I can get into it with you. I don't work there anymore. And, and I give no fucks about telling the truth. <laughs> the idea is it's a beautiful idea, man. You know, you got empty hotels, you got people that need housing. Why not put them in the empty hotels, but you're also taking the street and putting it in a hotel. Right. And if you're not trying to better the situation of the people that you're putting in the, in the housing, other than saying, bitch, you got a roof. You know, that's just not enough. Bitch, you got a roof just ain't enough.
0: Yeah, there's no job building skills. There's, no, there's nothing. There's nothing It was else. literally,
1: bitch, you got a roof.
0: Yeah. That's crazy that it keeps growing, too. Only because outside looking in, when mm-hmm. I'm hearing about California politics, especially Old, not Old Bay, that's Maryland, Jesus Christ, the <laughs> Bay Area, you hear more progressives, more, more tri- <laughs> So outside looking in, you hear more, because you you think you think that's like the mecca. People also think Portland's the mecca, and it's
1: not. It's not. Portland's where white people go to get away from brown people. <laughs> Portland is like white people Atlanta.
0: Oh, that's that's.
1: Because <laughs> you've been there, you're like, oh shit,
0: Just yeah. so at home. <laughs> what was weird? <laughs> what was weird for me? So I I went to Syracuse, New York. This is mm-hmm. three or four years ago. And the further north you get, the more white it gets, and mm-hmm. it's it's unnerving. It because I'm not used to it. I'm I'm in a very diverse place, and just like being around like the people that look like me just like did not make me feel comfortable. And I don't know how to feel about that.
1: When you're around like thuggish ass white people, you're like, wait a
0: minute. No, there were just like <laughs> regular white people, and there was just a lot of them, and there was so many of them, and it was just like where's everybody else i know other people exist mm-hmm. where are they like I, I i'm friends I with them
1: yeah,
0: yeah right exactly and that that's that just makes me think about portland and then syracuse like just when i went up there there was like one street where i saw other people and not just a bunch of white people and it was just like this is i don't i don't like this area i don't think because there's where's <laughs> everything remember.
1: else my only memory of Syracuse is I remember me and Cindy bought a skateboard out there and we were on tour with Yo Gabba Gabba.
0: You were on we tour with Yo Gabba Gabba?
1: We worked for Yo Gabba Gabba, yeah.
0: Jesus Christ. Okay. So this is I think this is actually really cool just from what you've peppered in as far as your jobs go, because you've mm-hmm. always had some kind of side hustle with the music, but the music seems mm-hmm. constant for you. And now mm-hmm. the podcast from all that i can tell is going to be as consistent it's as my, yeah, that's fair. that's your baby so it's
1: backseat bitter lake
0: <laughs> but it's it's always interesting to me these these different side hustles that you keep trying to go through to mm-hmm. just sustain yourself to play what you want to to do what you want to do which is the music i assume so yeah i mean i, I- it, it, our guitar
1: player posted a video today on facebook of us in in vancouver last year and it was a great show we we went out on tour with the band that maybe you know maybe you don't they're called divide and dissolve they're a duo from a, a female duo from australia okay i met them when they were out with sumac and i went oh, to go see aaron turner yeah i hooked him up with a booking agent friend of mine another black guy and he happens to live in portland <laughs> and and we got on the tour with them and we went out to Vancouver and played the spot and it was fucking rad and post posted this picture and I'm watching it and I'm just getting like so sad that oh, I can't yeah. do that anymore, yeah. but I'm getting a different sort of high from the show. As you can imagine. Yes. These conversations for me are pretty cool because much like the music, I'm introducing you to some new concepts and I'm screaming. It's, you can't understand. <laughs> After the show, generally I'm gonna have a conversation with someone that doesn't look like me that isn't from where I'm from. They're gonna ask me questions about these things I believe in because I don't come out and say I'm Jason the Marxist like <laughs> right. <laughs> why would I do that? I'm gonna cut myself <laughs> off from talking to so many people because they're gonna be like, what do you believe? Like what not that's you're weird, man
0: can you just get a uh, name tag with that though jason the marxist jason the Marxist.
1: God, i'm just asking for an ass kid, man. <laughs> by black people too like, <laughs> it's it's frustrating because when you use certain language you cut yourself off from certain people so it's like okay what if i have a show and i i have these people on that more often than not i have <laughs> Marxist professors and shit, mm-hmm. but we're not using that language. So it's 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 also about education. is What the show is about.
0: Well, you also s- it's, said it's, with Bernie, Bernie, just the having someone look up what socialism is and having mm-hmm. him redefine it or bring it back to the forefront. You know that that right there brings a, a bigger fresh fresh breath air, I think, and kind of j- jolts. Some people that are just like, oh yeah, socialism is just communism. It's just the red wave. We we hate all of this. This <laughs> is this is not the American way. Socialism can go somewhere. I don't I don't know.
1: And then you ask them like, okay, well, what is communism? Right. And then no one has an answer. Either you'll yell out Venezuela or Russia. You know, I I literally had a show about debunking Venezuela because I. There's a great book called Changing Venezuela about the Bolivarian Revolution. And Mm -hmm. when people start to understand, like, look, I'm from the hood. I don't know where you're exactly from, but I'm from the hood. And there's never been a leader in my lifetime, a president, a fucking governor, a goddamn mayor, that said, you know what we should do? Let's do things from the bottom up. (laughs) If we help the poorest of the people, then everything will trickle up right when you look at these governments that got overthrown that we have we have to see it through the lens of like 80s movies like delta force and fucking rocky four and red dawn commando and I, yeah chris i'm a fan of these movies i cry at the same part of red dawn every time i watch it the original one or the new one The original one, I walked to Maryland and knocked the hell out of your ass. And, but I understand that there's a lot of propaganda in that. Yeah. Propaganda. So when you go, okay, look, this is what this guy Hugo Chavez actually was doing in his country, or this is what Maurice Bishop was doing in Grenada before, you know, they got bombed back to the Stone Age on some let's get the taste of Vietnam out of our mouth shit and when you hear about these reforms they always start from the bottom up like hey we gotta teach people how to read right you know we did a tour in Brazil when when Lula was still locked up this last summer okay and it was it was interesting because I I've, I've, I was following Brazilian politics pretty much ever uh, Delma Rousseff got got oust. And to be there and to hear people talk about the gains that they got through the Lula administration. Go, He had a program where you could go to school anywhere in the world if you made the grades. Imagine that. But that's, again, that's a different way of thinking. They're thinking, if I don't help the poorest of us, none of us come up.
0: Right. If you don't empower your people, then your your whole country is, is set to fail.
1: Yeah. So these guys, you know, and, and there's not, and it's not perfect. And I think another problem is you see it through the lens of perfection. Like, okay, this isn't what I'm used to. Like Trevor has all the cool toys and can eat dinner whenever he wants. Therefore I want to be Trevor's. I want him to be my new dad. It's like, well, his dad may not be perfect. He may beat his ass. Like there could be some problems with Trevor's dad. So We have to kind of analyze everything and not look at it through the Trevor's dad is the best dad in the world lens because Trevor gets pudding for for dinner.
0: It's the same thing that I have, like my pet peeve of charter schools, where if you were just to put the money back into the existing public schools, give them actual books, update all (laughs) their technology, reinvest in the community that you have build more schools around there to sustain the the population but not just give money to for-profit schools and give everybody the the idea or not the idea but the the right to education but like a proper education the america would be in a completely different spot completely different and it's it's insane to me that that's still a thing and that people think that charter schools are the, the biggest alleyway for their, their kid to get a leg up. Because it's they're not in it for your kid's success or no. education.
1: I, I look at it like this. I had I had a young lady on the show. She's only 24. Okay. And she wrote a 12-part a 12, 12 series on reimagining education. And I met her through a, a wonderful professor named Harvey J.K. So if you watch The Hill... A useful idiots, Rolling Stone, like any sort of like major leftist news. Harvey J K is always on there. Okay, and and he connected me with this with this really cool young lady that was a student of his, and we didn't agree on everything, all of her prescriptions, but it was nice to see people trying to reimagine public education. If you're a sports fan, LeBron James has a public school in Akron, Ohio, and where he's from. And in his public school, if your kid's hungry, there's a place where you can get food. If his clothes are dirty, he can get his clothes washed. This is a public school. He didn't make it a charter right. school. He made it a public school. If if your parent is having problems navigating through the public assistance system of any, you know, like SNAP or Section 8, there's a bureaucrat in there that's going to help your mom or dad navigate through that system. That's an amazing way to reimagine public school, but that's only one school in a, in a city of probably people right. so you're only helping a very very small minority you're not going okay this is my school and this is another public school and let's expose them and let's see the flaws in this education let's let's follow these students for for 10 years and see how they end up because they have this this great foundation and and now let's reimagine public education not charter education but let's reimagine public education and i'm lebron james and i'm going to fund candidates that are running on free college and reimagining public education and we're going to we're going to get this thing done the right way right it's a wonderful public school and there's a lot of back
0: yeah i i think that's one of the one of the things with celebrities and just the, the people that have money that personal interest is always going to be there but i don't think a lot of them see how can i make the biggest impact on the most amount of people like LeBron James is having a huge impact on a tiny amount of people. Oh yeah.
1: But a huge impact, right? Huge Huge impact.
0: impact. But if he can replicate that in everywhere and then now we have that same opportunity everywhere, you know, that's, that's such a bigger, a bigger step to the right direction.
1: Yes. And it's, and this is where it gets frustrating to me is because I think people people don't see how both sides live enough. And that's why I think that, you know, again, LeBron James is a movie company. He could make that documentary. Like, this is kids that live in this area that have to go to the other public school. This is kids that go to my school. Like, if you have means and and you have health care and you have a child that has any sort of mental break you can therapist vacation help depending on if, if you're white or not you can call the police if they have a, a violent episode i saw that all happen living with that family wow juxtapose that to an inner city family or a poor family right where you don't have health care so you can't get your kid medication and therapy and when they do have violent outbreaks maybe you're forced to call the police and maybe the only real help your your child gets is the the 72 hours they spend in the county hospital and and not too far from you in Philadelphia, where that kid got shot, he was having a mental break, and the parents were like, "No, no, no, he's got mental problems," and they shot mm-hmm. him anyway. You can't get those problems fixed because you don't know how to address them in the first place because you just never had the means.
0: Right, right, and that's also where the part of the defund police yeah. strategy comes from taking those funds out of a militant police force and putting them mm-hmm. into the, the places where people can actually get help that are trained to actually handle these crises. You know, there's every county, every state, every region has these, these people, the social workers that are there specifically trained to handle someone that's escalating, that's having mm-hmm. an episodes that that's doing whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you have, but the, the issue is that there's only like one person for the whole county. Like that's that's just not enough. You gotta Oh,
1: oh man, oh yeah. So so again, so to to my to my point, if you have means, the way we look at things in this society, this (laughs) is well, Chris, you don't have healthcare, get a better job. Right. It's not a failure of society that you don't have health care, it's just a failure of Chris that you don't have health care. So because they can they don't see that the job they have the status that they might have been born into their ability to get certain job to, that has the benefits it's it's so different like even think about working with tools you know my dad was a homeowner and worked in the trades because his dad was a homeowner and worked in the trades so i'm not great with tools but i know what they are right i know how to use them if your dad lived in an apartment and his dad lived in an apartment, he probably doesn't
0: have tools.
1: Yeah. Cause he, why would he need them?
0: Yeah. You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't have, have to develop that, that skill. Right.
1: So just looking at it from that standpoint, we should be able to go, Oh, okay. Hmm. That's interesting. So there's a class dynamic. Of course there's a class dynamic. <laughs> and, and, and when you and when you see when you see like defund the police, I always tell this story. So I'm at the, 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 the hotel shelter that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's a Radisson Hotel in Oakland, California, across from the Oakland Coliseum where the A's and the Raiders once played. And it's this fucked up area, Chris. Shit's fucked up. So it's whatever hood you're used to seeing. It's that hood times 10. Right. Mm. We then took 300 plus homeless people that have drug problems, alcohol, there's prostitution all this shit's going on in a hotel, right? This one lady was having an episode. She was a very small black woman and she wants to fight everybody when she gets drunk. It was around the first of the month. She gets drunk and she wants to fight everybody and she kicked somebody's dog. Oh, no. So the person's dog she kicked, understood she was having an episode and started calling my name, like screaming my name. Okay. Jason, Jason, get this woman. She kicked my dog. The dog was huge and Want the dogs gonna get her, Jason? Or I'm a killer. You gotta right. get her, Jason. You right. gotta get her. I'm talking to this lady, and she wants to fight me now. <laughs> She's telling me she got a knife, It'll stab me, yada yada. Security is not allowed to engage. Their job is to, ah. you know, to being totally serious with their job is to report, to observe and yep. report. Yep. So here I am. I'm asking security, can you guys help me with this woman? And I and and. I got two choices. I can call the police and tell them there's a woman here with a weapon or I can try to get her in her room. And I asked her, I was like, are you afraid to go to your room? She goes, yes. I was like, you're afraid because your dude's going to beat you? She goes, yes. So she was with a much older man Mm. that abused her. So I don't know where the safest place for her to be is, but I know that I don't want the police to show up because she's a homeless woman and they know it's a shelter. So they don't really give a fuck about the people there. Right. Expendable in their eyes. weapon. Yeah. Oh, hella. And who's going to cry about it? Right. So I'm told this lady has a, has a a team, a response team for her, her mental illness. I'm like, great. So I call the number. It is one person. Like you said, it was four 45 on a Friday. And that person's like, look, man, we, we just one of us. I was like, well, can you come out? I don't want to call the police. He goes, and you say she had a weapon. I was like, maybe I didn't.
0: Can you come out? <laughs> and
1: he's like, Look, man, we're not coming out. Oh, it's, wow. It's Friday. And he, and he hangs the phone. Wow. And so I don't want to call the police. And I'm like, You just have to get in your room because if I leave her out and she's just, she's unruly. She's totally. Sure. Up. Somebody's going to fuck her up. Right. Because not everybody has patience for that shit. So another woman that also from life, the homeless resident there, grabs her, walks her back to her room, and sits in there with her, make sure the dude doesn't beat on her.
0: Wow! And that was one of the other residents.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the that's the reality of like why we say defund the police because there's people that need to respond to that call that don't have weapons and don't look at her as a problem. They look at her as a person in crisis. And that's a whole different approach when you see someone in crisis and you're not trying to extinguish a problem.
0: Right. You're not trying to extinguish a life.
1: No, you're trying to help.
0: Yeah. Cause if you look at it, you know, if, if a, that position was on call 24 seven. So that's, One thing they should be on call, just like firefighters and police, eight to
1: five, Monday through Friday. Yeah,
0: see, that that is already like something (laughs) that needs to be fixed, but that can be fixed by funding those positions. Yes, yes. So that's that's where it all like stems from is that if we look like what you said, the ground up, right? The revolutions Mm -hmm. always start with a fever pitch of people tired of taking everybody's shit tired of taking the leadership where they they're in a palace or or they have the power or whatever right and they're just like okay well we can we can take it back like we're we're over whatever you're doing we're we're gonna go ahead and take it back and try to like help out our fellow person
1: yeah i mean look at bolivia right bolivia had a coup fuck what you read it was a coup mostly because their leader Far to the left, Evo Morales, the only indigenous president in, in the Americas.
0: Something did, right there, huh?
1: Right? Didn't want to sell out his his people and his land to uh, the Tesla Corporation because this, they have all the lithium for the batteries. So it's like, you're going to extract all these resources and you're going to kind of make our people slaves to the resources you extract because you're going to bring in your corporations and we have no say so or ownership in our labor or in, in these companies. So when we say ground up, it's kind of like saying, well, why don't you start your own enterprise? And that's another thing that Chavez did and that Maurice Bishop did in Grenada. It's like, well, start a farmer worker co-op. You guys own your own labor. The government will help you get whatever machinery you need to start this self-made enterprise. And you're going to share in the profits. And and what was the saying? It was "grow, grow what you eat, and eat what you grow." Was their saying yeah. because they 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 weren't they were importing all their food over. And he's like, no, we can grow our own food here, and we can have ownership over this stuff opposed to paying right right um, absorbent amounts of money to these outside corporations. So you there's 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 so many things you need. First, you need education because you need a literate populace, and most of these guys had to do the same thing. They had to educate their people because they had an illiterate. Populous. Right. And that's kind of how I look at this country right now. Like we, we need to be educated on the history of us and not in a shameful way. Like you're white and you did bad. Like it's not that simple and that's just silly. There's just some things that America as a whole has done that aren't great. And yeah. when you understand what we've done to like destroy other places then you understand the issues that are happening globally you understand something like covid
0: i think not great is a little bit of an understatement so that that's the the only thing that i will say but it is it is interesting seeing the divide in america and then seeing potentially more division which is what i'm actually kind of excited about is seeing if if aoc if mm-hmm. i cuz i'm not I'm not going to be able to pronounce that correctly. If she is branching off of the main, I, th- I think Democratic they're what, Party. neoliberals? Neo-
1: the is, neoliberal Democratic Party? Yeah, is that, is that what it is? I'm not,
0: there's, I'm so, actually, many, there's so many I'm going to
1: see the video. There's a there's a guy I'm talking to today that actually has a really good definition on neoliberalism. And Perfect. Neoliberalism, this is going to be a really bad lay definition, but imagine like a government privatizing things that were once a public good
0: right. education
1: to your point about charter schools, public transportation, things like parking spaces
0: or having ports. more roads rather than actual public transportation, which yeah. is something that happens in Maryland, you know, we but don't, everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's really, really annoying.
1: Cause everything is, is, is getting, is getting privatized. And then you add in that like crazy trade agreements and it's basically the liberalizing of the market. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna liberate the market, and that's gonna free up all this capital. And when you the rising tide shall lift all of the boats, and it's it's not the rising tide, and there's only a few people in this Titanic <laughs> that may still sink. For sure, deal it's sinking, <laughs> and and they're fine because they have a helicopter, unlike the regular uh, yeah. Titanic. Or, to get or Godzilla's coming
0: for him or something. You yeah, know, that's. We
1: you hope maybe Godzilla is AOC. <laughs> but well, is she splitting off your ass? I, I don't know if they're trying to split off. I mean, she said some interesting things about the, the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party fights harder to stop the progressive wing than yeah. they do to stop the Republicans.
0: With And Bernie Sanders being a, a two time target of that.
1: Jesus. Right. Bernie Sanders, fucking Medicare for all. Remember, yep, those bills. Show up in front of Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi. It's not like no one's writing them, and you're waiting for a bill to get written. Oh no, oh oh, contraire mon frere, those (laughs) bills are getting written, and they're just like, nah, nah, bitch. Right, I'm not, I'm not reading it. Right, you eat a dick.
0: Yeah, that's that's the the unfortunate thing right now is that everything's being written. Everything is probably already written but yeah. no one's actually taking the time to read them, no one's taking the time to debate them. As we saw multiple times for like the the second round of stimulus checks that yeah. never happened.
1: So it became a it became a partisan issue and it became a Trump v Pelosi issue. It look, man, <laughs> Donald Trump could have won re-election hands down had he not been so cartoonish. Right. If he just was a human for once. Because I'm sure if you took Donald Trump aside, like when he walked out of that press conference, asking him all the questions and shit, like Mm -hmm. when he was losing, he looked like a defeated man. Right, right. The first time he says something dumb, it's always, to me, this is just my opinion, I don't know Donald Trump, never. It sounds like a slip up that a delusional rich person would say. That doesn't really give a shit about anybody because they're delusionally rich. Right. There's very, very nice people on both sides. That's what rich people say when they just don't care.
0: That's what Mitt Romney said, right? Something, something about the poor. This, it's fine. This,
1: yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't, look, look, man, I don't look. <laughs> there was good people both places, right? That's what they always say. Everybody's good. Mm-hmm. It was almost like, bless your heart. Right. <laughs> and people took that <laughs> shit and ran with it and when he sees people take shit and run with it all he's going to do is double down on it because he likes the attention
0: yeah but i am and- interested to see if if aoc and like the the new generation of actual left people mm-hmm. breaks off from that but on the the other side if the republicans and if trump sticks around at all in the ether that can be another divide
1: there's already Trump Republicans and like right. kind of the Lincoln Project Republicans, right? Right. And and I think the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is still framed as kind of crazy kids <laughs> um, or this
0: crazy old man that won't shut up.
1: They treat him like the fucking doc from Back to the Future.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> That's a very good description. That's like he made a
1: time machine. Like, yeah, whatever, man. It's a DeLorean. <laughs> like
0: it's, his hair still looks like that. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us millionaires. His hair. A
1: millionaires. <laughs> but he had he him and AOC are really good at having a narrative that people can understand. Theory behind it. You don't need it. It's just like, look, this is what it is. This is a way to this is a way to remedy to this now. And this is what we need to do if we want to get out of this hole. All the other politicians say things that you just heard forever and they relate everything to your regular life. Like the deficit. How are you going to pay for it? Bitch, you never ask how you pay for these fucking wars. The money just shows up. Not one person has ever asked, well, how are you going to pay for another year in Iraq? No one asked that shit. <laughs> Not one single fucking person. But people act as if, you know, I don't understand how they pay for it. And I fell asleep in econ. So I just assume that there's a big vault of money in Fort Knox. And Alex Jones said, look, they can print money if they want to print fucking money. Yeah.
0: That's how inflation happens. And that's how you destroy your economy.
1: There's more to it than that. I mean, we've been doing it forever. Uh Uh-huh. And then, but also keep in mind, wages haven't risen in 40 fucking years. Right. So as your wages aren't rising and the cost of living is higher and all you did was extend more credit to people, you know, that's a bigger problem than you just going, okay, we're going to pay for these projects that are then going to create a more robust economy because more people working blobbity blobbity blah but we don't do that we don't right. bail out real people because this is a market based economy when i say that it's like the financial markets so instead of us being the innovative country that makes new shit it's just people trying to figure out how to make the quickest return on old shit that's why look at uber and lyft they didn't create anything that technology was already there. There was taxicab applications that were already there where you could see where the fuck your driver was. She was already there. But they got their own thing, they made a thing, and now they are just destroying labor.
0: That's uh, that's everything in Silicon Valley. They they made a thing and now it's destroying everything.
1: That in a nutshell. <laughs> except for atari <laughs> wonderful people at atari
0: well to be fair they had all their their shit destroyed i feel like like what was that
1: The great documentary about the oh, games yes yeah. what is yeah the game
0: et it's, the extraterrestrial that's that's what yeah. it was where they just like put it all in a big big it's called hole. game over
1: actually is what it's called perfect like game over
0: i like yeah. it because i never remember anything so that's great <laughs> it's called game over so for for you what would a platform look like for someone that you want to actually have in power
1: sanders that was the, that was some bottom up shit man that's you know he had a housing platform he had free college, a debt forgiveness platform and let's keep in mind the free college wasn't just state schools and community colleges it was trade schools as well so any sort of platform like that that's going to lift people up from the bottom and you're doing things like forgiving debt, like debt cripples the shit out of us. Yeah. We can't do shit because of debt. You can't get certain apartments because of debt. You can't get certain jobs because of debt. Debt can fucking haunt you forever. Like, let's just be real about the dehumanizing nature of debt. So... For him to be like, let's forgive this debt. Let's give people health care, you know, back to our other conversation. That is leading into police violence
0: Mm -hmm.
1: when you don't have adequate health care. So that's a great start. You know, he wanted to have green energy. It's a great start. But, you know, can you push Joe Biden left? I don't know. I was told by Bill Fletcher Jr. and Harvey J.K. that you can fight neoliberalism, but you can't fight fascism or authoritarianism. So you need a person that, that you can you can push back on.
0: So you can't fight fascism, is what he was saying.
1: Well, it's harder, right? It's a it's a much right, harder okay, okay. it's a much harder fight.
0: Yeah, because it's a lot more radicalized. That they're they're entrenched in their beliefs or whatever they have their machine. Running right, your a, your
1: basket of deplorables, as Hillary Clinton called them, right? Right. Uh, or or as what uh, Marx would say, the lumpen proletariat. <laughs> <laughs> to the point people say about Trump, Trump's gonna like send his lumpen proletariat, proud boys, to mm-hmm. go get you. You know, they're at the 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 voting polls to make sure people don't vote, and yep. they're fighting with Black Lives Matter protesters, and they're running people over with their car. And I mean, that's what people are afraid of with fascism, and i imagine that ramped up on steroids. When you're, when you're trying to take down monuments that no one gives a shit about, like I've never, <laughs> ever in my 43 years of black ass life on this earth <laughs> seen someone say, if they take down that statue of Jefferson Davis that I've stared at every day eight and nine years, I will kill that colored man with my... <laughs> Never ever has anyone ever walked by like did your dad fucking grab you and say, son, look at this statue of this slave holding white man and know that your penis is larger than all those colored <laughs> boys. Like never. Never.
0: No, no. Especially because my dad is like gone. So that that's also a thing. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well you're your your pop pop. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, we don't you talk. you know What I mean, but yeah, that's <laughs> so. It, like,
1: yeah, so think about that. Like when people are like, they're gonna tear down our history, bitch. You didn't know it was there until <laughs> yesterday.
0: <laughs> also, they there's do. more. There's more to the story. Like that's just the one little snippet that the the winner of whatever that battle was got to got to say.
1: But it's the loser. Think about it. So how do the losers come back and get to rewrite their history? To the point where we could say shit like, well, you know, it's just part of history. Like to a degree, I guess, but I don't know too many monuments of losers in the other parts of the world that I've been in.
0: Right. And because the winners American side just weren't dicks enough. They weren't just being like, hey, you guys just like caused the the biggest national mass death. Can you just like not do this anymore? We're going to take everything from you. What the fuck, man? Can you man? imagine
1: American statues in Vietnam? Like, this American <laughs> soldier slaughtered my entire village. And oh, every geez. day I want to look at him and think, thank you. Thank you for <laughs> killing everyone that looks like me.
0: Thank you for bringing that's
1: democracy? That, that's the- <laughs> Not even, thank you for bringing a big foot in the ass of my country. <laughs> like, you, it just sounds silly. And we have all these monuments. And I don't go so far as like the Mm -hmm. Lincoln. Let's just talk. Let's just talk about the Confederate soldier. one. Let's just stay there. Yeah. Like that's your, that's what you want to get mad about. Like all the things in the world that you could be mad about. You're mad about some black guy going, you know, I really hate the fact that this flag that has kind of stood for tyranny is over my head. And every time I go to the fucking Capitol building, I have to think about the fact, Right. Like can we just take down these vestiges of a shitty system? And the guy's like, No, that's all I got. <laughs> what about your wonderful kids and your No, all I got is a statue that I've never seen and a flag <laughs> that I don't even understand fully. And this <laughs> sounds crazy.
0: Uh that's that's good. I like it. <laughs> all right. So we're gonna <laughs> that's, we're gonna get a little bit more serious, but I do I, I do like that because I'm just imagining Just like walking around, I mean, like someone making such a big deal of taking the statue down, and the other person being like, "Yeah, we've been trying to do that for a little bit. Thanks for actually like taking care of it for us. (laughs) Like this is this is really cool. Thanks, appreciate it. Like we, there was a bunch of just red tape. Like we we were trying, but the laws are just so weird about this stuff. You would think, yeah." you know they're, they're done like you would think it, it doesn't exist anymore there's no form of confederacy why is it still here i don't get it but you know people want to be people they want to help help on to or hold on to history and there's like that the history is
1: gone it's lost it's done like that's what you want to hold on to yeah. like i just want to remember a good time when if i had enough good money and own land i could own you too like, right, that's,
0: like right. That's-, that's a that's a good time
1: And and that's why it seems silly to me. Like, of all the concerns that you should have, when you really start to sit down with people, you find out that their their main concerns aren't this weird culture war. It's real. Like, what is the future for my children? Right. Across the board. I don't care who you you can have nooses up in your house everywhere with pictures of me and Dave Chappelle and Kaepernick and whoever the fuck else you hate. (laughs) But if I asked you like real questions, You'd probably be like, well, I want you know, I want to make sure my family is gonna be okay. And yeah,
0: you wanna secure your future, right? I, I want, do too. Yeah. But-
1: are you crippled by debt?
0: Yeah, fuck the banks. Yeah, <laughs> we, we agree. Like that, right. yeah. Everybody hates taxes. Like that that's not a that's not a thing that, that someone likes. Everybody hates taxes.
1: Because you don't feel like they work for you. You have nothing to show for but shitty Confederate monuments that people are fighting over. <laughs> But what like, what if you were like, yeah, I pay taxes because like Cindy's from Canada. Right. She okay, no problem and her family had no problem paying taxes because they had really good public transportation right. and fucking health care.
0: It's amazing when you can like go to the hospital and get your like leg reset after you just took a tumble down the stairs, Karen, you know, an eight stack fucking. Amp, <laughs> right. It'd be really cool if if you could just Launch like go get it fixed in the same night or whatever, and not have to worry about like paying for an ambulance and paying for all this other stuff, or
1: or have a country that like pays for the arts. Like, oh and, yeah, and, and like oh here's a stipend so you can go write a record because we think that you're doing <laughs> something important in artsy.
0: Right. You don't like, have the same thousands of people going for the same grant.
1: It's again when you take five minutes to go. Okay, is this really? where I'm hung up on like statues and is that, is that really what's scared me? Is that what's, is that what's making me really mad or is someone telling me that this is a problem? Right. Because they're telling me that once the statue goes, then the next thing is going to happen is your daughter's going to fuck that black guy with no job. <laughs> it's like, she can fuck a white guy with no job. Is that better? But it sounds like your daughter just likes fucking some shit motherfuckers. <laughs> so this there's, is there's a longer conversation you need to have. Don't worry, she'll think
0: that she can fix them. That's that's it. Alright, so for you, I'm going to ask this while you're dying laughing. This is good. What do you think is the the one thing that you've learned most about yourself when it comes to either music or your political side as well?
1: I'm difficult. You're difficult? Stubborn. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> I'm stubborn. I can be just as lazy as I am hardworking, I don't know everything.
0: That's an important thing to to actually learn.
1: And the more I learn, there's a saying like the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. That's a hundred percent true. Yeah. That's why I read these books. That's why I talk to whoever is down to talk to me because I'm going to learn something in all of these conversations that I didn't realize before. and, and that's how we should take our our interactions. Like we're gonna we're gonna get something from these interactions that we have.
0: I like it. What do you think keeps you driven the most to continue to pursue music?
1: Badass kids.
0: <laughs> I like that. I like that. You could just get like a normal <laughs> job and and you know just give them money and tell them not to bother you for a little bit.
1: You totally forgot that stubborn part. I said. Every ah,
0: first. okay, okay.
1: I took my daughter on tour. Me and Cindy got to take my, my daughter on tour, who's older. She's 22 now. She was like 17 at the time. Okay. And we did a short tour because we, our van had broke down and a bunch of gear was was a very nice person was holding it for us in, in North Dakota. So we did a little run up to oh, North Dakota. And that's cold. And it was. It was. It was. And, and my daughter got to see the rest of the country, parts of the country that not a lot of kids get to see. And I remember the first thing she said was, Daddy so black people <laughs> like no wow. honey that's why and Sydney play a game called count your race <laughs> oh that's... And you're mixed so you can count twice oh, yeah that's good I like that. I like so that. so like that was cool because I think she understands why I do it and I think she understands why it's important for me for them to see me do it if you're gonna do something do it do it with passion I worked in the Gulf of Mexico for, for a while. It was a rough job. And I was the only Californian there as I cooked for dudes and worked on oil rigs. And I was in the weeds one day, they were yelling at me. All the eggs were ordered. but I was yelling at me and the head chef came out here flipping this egg. He's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? He's like, you got to do anything you do, you do it with passion. He goes, you see this punk ass egg? You flip that egg with passion. You grab the spatula, you went foo, shot. He's like, do it with passion. <laughs> And that's just the way I live my life now. You got to do it with passion.
0: I love that. That's a perfect way to end the show. That's fucking, (laughs) that's so good.